Open your Bibles to chapter Luke chapter 15. Okay. Um, we're thankful to have this opportunity tonight to share a little bit. Um, we'll have a little fun tonight, but also um, I want to just give a disclaimer. Two disclaimers right now. You may hear some things tonight that are very unorthodox based upon the traditions that we've been trained up in. First disclaimer. So prepare yourself to maybe hear something very different. Disclaimer number two, please study your Bible. So tonight we're really just going to try to do a little Bible study, to be honest with you. I want to set a little background and I'll get inspired from brothers like Ed Doss and Fred, the Digging Deeper group and Derek, where we really try to, when we look at the Word, we really try to understand why was this written. We try to understand who is the audience. And we try to understand what does that mean for us. So that's kind of the approach we're going to take tonight a little bit. And the focus is Jesus. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to talk about making relationships like Jesus. My beautiful wife has accompanied me. If you don't know her, her name is Michelle Carter. She's right here, and she's very beautiful. Man, I like this feeling. This is, this is nice. It's good. Okay, so Luke 15, 1 and 2. I'm sure you've seen it before. It reads like this, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Hmm, interesting. All right. Point number one. Barbecue. How many people recognize this? It's Texas barbecue. Okay, I see some hands in there. All right. Tell me, this, this is open response time. So if you like barbecue or know a thing or two about barbecue, I have some questions to ask you. I just want to hear some responses. What makes barbecue good? Someone tell me. Smoked meat. Marinade. I heard someone say something else. Seasoning. Sauce. This is all good. The right heat. Right. The meat, the quality of the meat. That is huge. That is huge. Meat, seasoning, sauce, heat. And enough of meat. Enough meat. You need a lot of meat. You need a ton of meat. Right? You don't want to run out of barbecue. You don't want to run out. You know, guys, the lesson could almost end here. It could almost end here. We're going to circle back at the end of the lesson. This is going to come back. That's right. And you'll see how this applies. But we can almost end the lesson here. One more thing I'll add to good barbecue that I want to tell you guys about barbecue. Time. Yeah. Time. You can't rush good barbecue. You really can't. You have to smoke that meat for some hours. Anyone ever been to Hutchins? Okay, we've got some fans in here. All right, all right. Okay. Just remember this image, it will come back. But Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, I'm going to read it one more time. But as I read it this time, I want to ask you guys a question. Who is Jesus about to respond to? If you read Luke chapter 15, there are three parables in Luke chapter 15. The first one's called the parable of the lost sheep. 
The second one is like it. It's called the parable of the lost coin. And the third one, which is the most famous, is called the parable of the lost son. I'm sure you guys have heard of the parable of the lost son. But Luke 15 opens up with the parable of the lost sheep. And it's interesting how Jesus even starts to tell these parables in the first place. Do you know he's actually responding to somebody? And he's responding and he's making a point to them about something. Let's look at this again. Verse 1 and 2 reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. After this, the next scripture says, Then Jesus told them a parable. After that. Right after that complaint. The audience here are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. That's the audience of the parable of the lost sheep. Let me say it one more time. The audience who Jesus is talking directly to. He's not talking to disciples. He's not talking to the lost. He is talking and almost replying and trying to teach a lesson to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Let me pause for a minute. At that time, who do they represent? Who are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Yeah, I think I'm hearing it. They're the religious people. They're the churchgoers, the synagogue goers. They're the ones who know God's Word, actually. They know it quite well. They're actually the religious leaders, even. That's who they are. Let that just sink in for a minute. When I read this, and an older brother that's across the seas pointed this point out to me. He's in Jakarta. His name is Harlan. He pointed this out to me maybe over a decade ago when I was in a church in Cincinnati. And I had never considered who Jesus was talking to in this parable. But as we study our Bibles and get context and get background, we start to dig a little deeper and maybe we can learn something new. Since Jesus is talking to religious people and churchgoers, I thought to myself when Harlan pointed that out to me, maybe I relate to these people. And I started looking at some articles about is there any comparisons to churchgoers or Christians today and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of the New Testament? I started asking myself this question. So I dug up an article called 10 Things Today's Pharisees Say. And I want to point out to you this list of 10, but I'm only going to point out three things on this list. And a word of caution, as we read these and think about them, don't think about who these phrases may remind you of. But, but think about how they might reflect our own attitude right. or actions. You know, for me, when I first thought about this, this thought crossed my mind, and I read this list, I thought to myself, nah, that's not me, no, no, I don't relate. The three I'm going to show you, actually, I've, I've been really bad in those over time. And it, it kind of changed my perspective when I considered them, and it was humbling to consider it. And, you know, just chew on it. Number one on the list says, if he knew the Bible as well as I did, his life would be much better. You know? Most of us know the Bible probably better than most people around us, I would guess. Just by default, because we're dedicated to God's Word. That's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes, 
If you're not careful, I think this thought can cross our minds. Number three on the list says, you shouldn't hang around people like that. And one of the reasons uh, many churches aren't growing is because we have a hard time relating to non-Christians. Now, wisdom, of course, we look after our youth. We look after situations. Yes, bad company can't corrupt good character. We know that to be true. However, if you just remember Matthew 3, I mean Matthew 15, uh, again, numbers messed up. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 talks about being the salt of the earth. I thought this was an interesting excerpt from this article. It says, if many of us were preaching the parable about being the salt of the earth today, we'd switch it up and command the salt to stay in its hermetically sealed box and never touch any food. Of course, Jesus said the opposite. Salt needs to get out of the box to season food. Right? Yeah. Um, so I thought that was just an interesting point. Number nine on the list says this, I'm simply more comfortable with people from my church than I am with people who don't go to church. And the article even cited this, that churches can be incredibly ineffective at reaching unchurched people. If you want to change it, go to some parties, get to know some heathens. <laughs> some people who are far from God. You might find out that God actually likes them and loves them. And you may too. Wow. Yeah. And the question that begged of me was how many friends do I have outside the church, especially those of us who have been disciple maybe 10 years or longer, or 15 years or longer. Yeah. 20 years. Yeah. When naturally most of your relationships and your closest relationships are naturally going to be those inside the church. And that's okay. That's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. However, if we still don't have friendships outside the church, it will be hard to reach people. Now, let me make one more statement here. Um, Cold contact, we're very used to inviting people to church. Cold contact, that's a good thing. That's necessary in some situations. This is not to take away from that. I mean, if you're meeting somebody, stranger, never going to see him again, you got to say something that the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. If you're on a plane, sitting next to somebody, hey, you know, you guys get in the conversation, they share something, I mean, you never know what it's going to lead to, right? But if you're talking about your neighbors, people you see every day, Co-workers, talking about family members, you're talking about even classmates sometimes. Those are people you're going to see day in, day out. You have to build relationships. You have to start implementing more of a warm contact approach. And just some of our observations has been effective over time. And we've seen it be effective in other churches as well. Um, my wife's going to share here in a minute about an example of our neighbors that we had in Cincinnati and how we befriended them and got to know them. But notice about these three statements. All three of these statements are in sharp opposition to the example of Jesus set that the Pharisees complained about. Did you notice that? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. If you go and you read some scriptures about Jesus' outreach, his own personal outreach example. The people Jesus reached out to were greedy, adulterous, liars, swindlers, and even murderers. They were often sick. They were often poor. They were often outcasts 
from society. If you look at Jesus' outreach, especially in the Gospel of Luke, he's reaching out to a lot of different kinds of people, having one-on-one conversations with them, eating with them. And yes, he gives them a spiritual point to think about, but he shows them a lot of grace and mercy. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's Jesus' example of building relationships. I want my wife to share here. Um, I just love Jesus' example. And uh, I became a Christian um, as a 15-year-old sophomore back in 1990, Go Teen Ministry. And um, back then, um, I had read about Priscilla and Aquila, and they became my spiritual heroes in the faith. And I prayed as a teenager that, God, please, I want to marry someone where we can change the world together. And God blessed me 22 years later with Christopher Carter. And um, besides his amazing character I just and his love for the word, I just seen how the fruits of the word has really been amazing. I mean, he's been a Christian for 15 plus years and like every single year of his Christian walk, he's met and baptized someone that he's every single year. And, I, and for me, I've been a disciple and I've gone to youth corps. I've been to volunteer corps. I've been to um, medical corps because I'm a nurse. I've served in the music ministry. I've been in the ministry. But there's nothing more satisfying than seeing someone come to faith. And I'm like, God, I want to see people get baptized. I'm here on this earth because I want people to be saved. That's why you have me here. And so, but sometimes in my Christian walk, it would, I would swing the pendulum. I've been working so hard, reaching out to people, cold contact, warm contact, saying the Bible. And then sometimes they wouldn't become Christians. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to swing the pendulum the other way. It's not my gift. It's someone else's gift. I'm just going to serve in the singing ministry. I'm going to serve in this thing. But I'm not going to make it my mission as Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. But yet the word still convicted me. And the word still said, no, you need to persevere. And so um, there's a turning point in my walk with God where we went to Japan and the church was only like 15 people. And that question was, how many friends do you have outside the church really hit home? Because I was always a part of a mega church. Then it was like 15 people and two people who spoke English. And I was like, how many friends do I have outside the church? And I was like, you know what? I need to make friends. I need to just have friends. I need to start doing that just like Jesus did. And so I prayed to God and I was like, God, I feel so discouraged, but you say the harvest is plentiful. I trust that. But the workers are few. Please pray for the workers. I'm your worker, God. I want to be a co-worker with you, Father. I'm not going to take control anymore. I'm just going to be, I'll just scatter the seeds. I'll just water it, but I want to see you grow it. But God, please, can I just be around it? I just want to see miracles happen. And so... We moved back to Cincinnati, and um, I took the scripture literally, um, love your neighbor. So, okay, there's five neighbors. So I wrote a little card and um, had a little tea bags, and I put at the doors and said, you know, hey, we're Chris and Michelle, we just got back into town. This is our, these are our cars. If, we're, if they're in the way, give us a call. If you want some, um, if our house is burning down, please give us a call. If um, you want some flour or some eggs or some milk, please give us a call. And from that, 
One person responded and invited us to dessert with the next door neighbor. So we went to dessert night and I was there. Christopher was on a um, business trip and I met um, the, the, the people who invited us. She's Indian, he's white American and they adopted a Haitian girl. And then the neighbors, Mike, he's um, Nigerian and Tenika is Belgian and um, we all had dessert together. Now, Mike, he was bragging about his jollof rice. He's like, oh yeah, I can make some good jollof rice. We're like, oh, okay, you can make some good jollof rice. We need to go ahead and have an um, international potluck. I'll have Chris, he'll do his ribs. You do your jollof rice and everyone's going to bring something. So we all got together and it was great. You had a Blackanese person, you had an Indian, a Nigerian, a Belgian, a white, and a P.O.B., which is a plain old black. <laughs> Our friendship blossomed from there. We went to walks to the park. We lived downtown Cincinnati. We walked to the park for concerts. We went out to restaurant week. Uh, we talked about working out. Tinika and I did yoga in the park. Um, I would borrow flour and eggs and sugar from her. And we did Zumba. We invited um, Mike and um, Chris to come do Zumba with us. But for some reason, they just passed on that. We didn't understand why. But um, one day, we were all out having um, dinner together. And Tinika passed on the alcohol. And if you know Tinika, before she became Christian, she would never pass on alcohol. So I was like, what's going on here? And come to find out, she was pregnant. And it was just so great because we were both trying to get pregnant, and she got pregnant, and then she had her baby shower. I was able to meet her family. And it was just a wonderful time of building friendships, building memories. And it was so encouraging because it was a friendship reciprocated. And um, so I just, I just felt like that was such a, um, a blessing for me, too, as I moved back from Cincinnati and also was looking for friends. But um, Christopher, right now, he's going to be talking about some of the practicals of what we did to help build that relationship. Good job, boo-boo. Okay. So, so um, that's Mike and Tenica. We're out eating sushi with them. Um, to our left are actually uh, elders in the Cincinnati church, um, the overstreets. And so we were all just hanging out. Just ate sushi, and like Michelle said, we just kicked it. It wasn't, you know, it didn't start out as we were like going after them, or of course, in the back of our minds, we're always scheming. Why not? I mean, share God, right? So, a few practicals here. Let's keep reading Luke chapter 15. We pick up verse 3. Literally, now Jesus responds. The Pharisees, teachers of law, just muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. He actually tells them all three, but he starts with this one. Let that sink in just for a moment. Remember, Jesus is responding directly to the religious people of the day about the fact that he spends time with sinners. Interesting. And this is what he says. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? The first practical I pulled from this and learned, you have to leave the 99. 
If you want to go after a lost sheep, if you want to go after the lost, they're not going to be found in the church. You're not going to find them coming to midweek, Wednesday night Bible study, Friday devos, and Sunday morning. Because they're typically not there. And if they do come, that's fabulous. We'll get to that here in a moment. But initially, it's not where they're found. You have to leave the 99. But be aware, you have to go into the open country. Be aware, the open country can be dangerous for sheep. Lions and wolves, bears. And like David, if you're going after a sheep, because he was a shepherd as a teenage boy, sometimes you have to seize a lion by its hair and strike it and kill it to defend yourself. So don't be naive and have wisdom as you go out into the world and have relationships. But practical number one is leaving the 99. That relates really to making friends outside of church. Let's go to verse 5 and 6. Then Jesus says this, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Let's talk about um, something that you may know intuitively, but you may not. And if so, another new teaching for the evening. Um, Sharing your faith is not equivalent to inviting someone to church. Sharing your faith comes from a small, small letter called Philemon. That's where the actual passage comes from. That whole letter is a prison ministry letter about someone who got converted inside a prison and is leaving prison and is being welcomed back and needs literally a brother to forgive him and literally he needs that brother who's been around longer, who has more faith than him because he's a baby Christian. He needs that brother to share his faith with him. If you can share something, what does that normally mean? You have more of it than the person you're sharing with. That is the contextual meaning of sharing your faith. It is not used in the Bible as an evangelism phrase. It's not. Now, we use it all the time in good heart. I'm not knocking that. But I do want you to know your Bibles. But it's applicable. Still, even that example is applicable right here. How does a sheep get back when it's lost? You have to carry it. You've got to put it on your shoulders. Now, why do you do that? Isn't the sheep strong enough to make it back? Maybe not. A sheep in the open country, there's many things that could have happened to it practically. It could have been attacked. It could be injured. It could have a broken leg. And oftentimes, sheep are really dumb. We are all like sheep. Jesus is a good shepherd for all of us, is the reality. And oftentimes, we do not know what direction we should go. And oftentimes, we are injured, and we are hurt, and we are broken when Jesus finds us. The same is with the loss that we reach out to. You never know what's going on with your neighbors. Everything can look cool on the outside, but inside that house and inside that marriage, inside that parenting, with their kids, you never know what's going on with your coworkers. They come to work, they put their best on, don't they? You never know what's going on with a coworker. You never know what might be going on with your classmates. 
You never know what's really going on in people's lives. So if you have opportunity, put it on your shoulders. If you have more faith, because you're a disciple of Christ, your faith has been strengthened week in, week out. Sometimes people in the world, their faith is not in the same place. So share your faith. Literally. Don't invite them to church. Invite them in your homes. That's something that we talked about in our Bible talk is make it practical to invite someone to your home before you invite them to church. That shows a friendship beyond you just, I'm, just, I'm just getting at you for my church. No. I want to be your friend. I want to know your life. Come to my house. Let me go to your house. Let's sit down and eat together. Let's talk. Right? Let me share with you things I'm not great at. Be real. Just see what happens. See what God does with that. Practical number two. Put it on your shoulders. And if you don't feel comfortable having them in your home, it can be anywhere. Coffee shop. Meet up. Go out to eat. Hang out. That could literally be anything. I think God gives us many opportunities to really share our faith with the lost. Last practical for tonight, verse 6. Once that sheep is found and you took the time to put it on your shoulders and you brought it home, then you get friends and neighbors together and you rejoice. And you say, I have found my lost sheep. Rejoice, have a barbecue. Practical number three. And what are we saying here? What we're saying here, get others involved. And literally, party. Literally, have a good time in a group setting. Invite disciples, invite non-disciples, get together, and have a good time. Practical number three. Okay, I'm going to pass it back to my wife. She's going to tell you how that story ended up with Tenika and Mike. There's Tenika and Mike um, in a baptistry. And um, basically, just the more time we spent together, the more we really got to know each other. And um, there was one time where we were hanging out at their house, and Christopher shared about his life and his past womanizing ways. And Tenika was like, you, Chris? And he was like, she was like, no way. And she, he was, and Chris was like, yeah, but the Bible changed me. And then Mike said, you know what? I remember one time we were walking back from the park and I was talking all kinds of smack cursing towards this other person who was kind of crazy. And I noticed that Chris wasn't cursing. And I was like, hmm, Chris doesn't curse. And there's something to be said about a fine young man like this who doesn't curse, who doesn't get involved in foul language, lewd comments, or coarse joking. And then um, there was other times when I was hanging out with Tenika, and I just shared how we met. And I'll tell you later, it's a total God story. I mean, it's a totally God. I mean... I'm half Japanese, half black. He happens to be black and speaks fluent Japanese. We moved to Japan. He works for a Japanese company. I mean, he's had so many answered prayers. God totally answered all. I mean, I'd love to tell you all about it some other time. But I shared this story with her, and she was just like, wow. These God stories really inspired them and moved them. And uh, 
Um, there was even the time where even I was working and I'm still working on being a godly wife. And she would say stuff like, yeah, you know, Chris would say something and Michelle would be just like. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, okay. I guess, you know, I'm working on stuff. I'm imperfect, but I'm still working on being a respectful and loving wife. And so um, uh, we thought from there, I was like, okay, well, maybe let's invite them to church because we were having church and then there was going to be a potluck afterwards, an international potluck. So we said, Mike, can you bring your jollof rice over to um, our church? We're having a potluck afterwards. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll bring my jollof rice. So um, he was supposed to come, they were supposed to come to church and then at the last minute they canceled. And so I was a little discouraged. I was like, oh, man. But then they showed up for the potluck afterwards, and we it was so amazing. It was such a blast because we were there. We were all eating together. They met a lot of warm disciples. Um, they were we. Long story short, we just shut the place down. We made sure that they um, were introduced to another couple that were similar to them, another like Eastern European and Nigerian couple that were ten years their senior. And they had such a wonderful time. We had such a wonderful time. And although they didn't go to church that morning, they experienced church that afternoon. And so a couple of weeks later, um, Chris was out of town on business again. And Tinica invited me, um, Tinica and Mike invited me to go see the Christmas lights in Cincinnati. And so I jumped on that opportunity. And as we're just walking and looking at the lights, she turned to me and said, so, Michelle, you still going to that church? And I'm like, thinking myself, like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, every week. And she's like, well, Mike and I, we decided that we're going to start going to your church. And I was like, inside, I was like, yes, 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 oh my God, do they even know what's going on? But I was like, oh, that's great, awesome. And, um, it was so cool because we would both be leaving from our garages at the same time to go to church. Like we'd be pulling out like, hey, you know, and they take their route and I take my, we take our route and we see like who gets there first, you know, and everything. But um, it was just so cool. They, we'd have Bible talk at our house. We'd have Bible talk at their house. And um, they just came to church and they just came and they never stopped coming. Every single Sunday just kept coming and coming and coming. And Mike, with a person with with some religious background, and Tenika, who was an atheist, um, they agreed to study the Bible. We sat down with them and just shared with them, you know, someone sat down with us and shared with us the scriptures, and it changed our lives. And we just want the opportunity to just share with you what someone shared with us. Can we share that with you? And they were like, yes. And it was just a dream come true because... 25 years or prior, when I was a teenager, I prayed that I would be married to a man who'd want to change the world and that we would change the world together and that we could be like a Priscilla and Aquila. And it was just so awesome because we were studying the Bible and I was just watching my husband lead the studies. And I was just sitting back like chilling, like this is awesome. You know, and just letting him lead and hearing his convictions and then being able to share um, how God has changed my life as well. And um, I just feel like God allowed me to be a co-worker with him. He allowed me to see a miracle unfold right before my very eyes. 
and to experience a prayer that I had prayed for so long ago. And our neighbors became our friends. And then our friends became our family, our brother and sister in Christ. And so it was just so encouraging. I'm just so grateful to be able to share with you. Thank you, Boo-Boo. Um, yeah, so I just think it's a testament to God's power. I think, honestly, don't be impressed with us. Trust me, we, we, we have all kind of issues and sin, and we some jokers, okay? So it's not about us. But I will tell you this. It is about Jesus' example. He welcomed sinners. He ate with them. Just a few practicals we see from that parable. And this is how it wraps up in verse 7. Verse 7 reads like this. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And obviously you guys have heard this message before. But this is how Jesus wraps up that parable of the lost sheep. He does the same thing with the parable of the lost coin. And the point he's making is... The goal is for people to repent. That's why I welcome them. That's why I befriend them. The goal is for them to repent. So takeaways, and we're wrapping up here. Three practicals we see from Jesus' teaching and His example. Leave the 99, have some friends in the world. Share your faith. At your home is a great place to do that. Invite them at your home before you invite them to church. Need a little practical. Or just hang out with them. Coffee shop. No movie theater. Three, last but not least, have a barbecue. I told you that picture was coming back. Now I'm going to give you a homework from this picture. Okay? Remember we talked about Matthew chapter 5.13 being the salt of the earth. Someone said something about seasoning makes good barbecue. Well, guess what? Seasoning also makes your conversation really good when you're talking and having discussions and conversations with your neighbors and co-workers and classmates and friends. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. This is an extremely contextual scripture about reaching out. This scripture actually starts off with saying something about how you act towards outsiders, meaning those literally outside the church. That's what that means when it says outsiders. It says be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. It says make the most out of every opportunity with them, in fact. And then the very next scripture, which is applicable to what we just read, says this. Let your conversation with them, not just conversation in general, let your conversation with those outsiders that you're making every opportunity with, let it be full of grace and let it be seasoned with salt. Catch that. Which one is bigger, grace or salt? Oh, I'm not going to give the whole lesson away. But what would seasoning be without the meat and the barbecue? Would you just throw salt on that grill and eat clumps of salt? How would that taste? If that's all you talked about, or that's the only barbecue you can serve, you may need to go out and get some quality meat. And in that scripture, the meat would be the grace. This barbecue is full of meat. Full of meat. 
good quality meat. Lots of grace and mercy. Not judgment. Self-righteousness. All those things the Pharisees were good at. But that meat would be awfully plain and boring if it didn't have some good seasoning and that color and all that good char. Good seasoning. Take some time. Please read Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. I hope you guys enjoyed the lesson. I hope it helped out. Thank you, guys.